Well, thank you, Chris. Well, good morning again. Um, if you haven't seen me, my name is Mike. I'm the I'm the the lead pastor, lead elder here at Faith Bible Church. And again, we we're so excited that you're here worshiping with us. We're here that you're here uh, praying with us, and um, we look forward to right now as we get into God's Word, um, all that God has for us. We believe in the authority of God's Word. We believe that it's inerrant. We believe that uh, it, it is powerful. Um, and it is meant uh, not only for the original audience, but God has meant it for us. Um, and so we, we preach out scripture. Uh, we preach through books of the Bible. And so we've been in Acts for the last 40 weeks. Today marks 40 Sundays of being in the book of Acts. Um, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 22 uh, this week. Um, but just a recap of what happened last week. Um, Paul made it to Jerusalem. Um, you know, he, he went before James and, and the elders of the church there, and they rejoiced with all God has for them. Um, but there were rumors going around, and, and James asked Paul, saying, hey, um, there's all these rumors and all these lies and everything that's happening about how you're, you're against Jewish tradition and against Jewish culture. And their encouragement was saying, hey, Paul, go purify yourselves with these four men. Go into the temple, purify yourselves. And while he's in there, um, these, Jewish, uh, these Jews from Ephesus area rose up and, and caused a riot and caused Paul to be bound, um, both his hands and his feet, uh, which fulfilled the prophecy from Agabus on how Paul was going to be um, arrested. And he was brought before the council. And before the council, he declared who he was. Hey, I am a Jew, and as a Jew, I have a right. And so they, they heard him out. And so Paul was talking about his life and how he was a Jew of Jews, how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, how he wanted to persecute and kill Christians. That was his goal. That was his aim. And so he spent most of his life persecuting the way, persecuting anyone who says, hey, I follow Jesus. I believe in the resurrection. And he was being, and as a result, he, he himself later on was being persecuted. But he was talking about that, and he says, hey, I was on my way on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. I wanted, I, I wanted them dead. I wanted them gone. But Paul had a but God moment. Hey, I'm going to do this, but God. And God shows up in an incredible way. And his but God moment was the fact that he encountered and met Jesus. And his life was transformed. His life was changed as a result of his encounter with Christ. Let me ask you guys, have you ever had but God moments? You had this plan. You had this ambition. You had these desires. You were going to stay in this job. That was my job. There's security. I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to do anything else. But God shows up and says, you know what? My calling on your life is different from that job. And I'm calling you somewhere else. And we're faced with the dilemma. Either keep going the way we're going or be obedient to Christ and what he has for us. Or maybe you've, you've had a hardship as a parent and you're struggling, but then God shows up. Right? He shows up and changes the trajectory, changes the course, steps up, steps in, does something incredible, right? Or maybe you're faced with cancer and you have a sickness, but God, he shows up and you encounter Christ like never before. Paul's moment was, hey, God showed up and told me that I was persecuting him and that my life was going to change. And his change was that he was going to go 
And instead of persecuting Christians, he was going to become one, and he was going to go be persecuted for Jesus. And so Paul, he, he declared to him, he said, hey, I value the Jewish traditions. I value circumcision. I value all these things. But here's the thing. I had an encounter with God. And in a conversation with God while in the temple, God told me something. That I was not going to be a testimony to the Jews per se, but that I was to go to the Gentiles. And so this morning, that was the end of what we saw last week. And so how did the Jews respond? How did they respond when, God, when Paul told them, I am called to the Gentiles? Well, let's stand as we read today's passage. Acts chapter 22, starting in verse 22. And this is what, God, this is what Luke, the author of Acts, wrote. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from his him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had been bound. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in a council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection, nor angels, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, and the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force 
and bring him to the barracks. And the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You guys can be seated. Jesus, Lord, our desire is to honor you, to honor your word. Our desire is to hear what you have for us and to be obedient to what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, we are asking for ears to hear and hearts to understand and minds to comprehend how incredible you are. Lord, what is it that you desire from this passage for our lives? God, we are asking and praying that your spirit would speak, that your spirit would move. God, that we would be transformed more into the image and likeness of Jesus every single day. So, Lord, speak. May your word come alive in our hearts and our minds. In Christ's name. Amen. So here's Paul. Paul's sharing his testimony, right? As Christ-centered people, we're called to share what God is doing and has done in our lives. And part of that is to tell what was before I met Jesus, what it was like to meet Jesus, and what is my life after Christ, right? And so here's Paul sharing everything that I'm a Jew, that God has called me, and he has called me to the Gentiles, right? In church, you know, we, we live in this crazy world where everything seems to be racist. No matter what we do, everything is like, hey, you're racist, right? But church, do you want to know what true racism looks like? You can look at it right here. Here are the Jews who absolutely despise and hate Gentiles. They don't want anything. They don't believe that Gentiles can even earn God's favor, they believe that Gentiles have to first convert to Judaism and then from there to Christianity. There is no lost to Jesus. You have all these things, and so they, they despise Gentiles. And Paul's like, hey, God called me to the Gentiles, and their response was to cause a riot. Sound familiar? Right? Their, their response to get the attention of the legals, to get the attention of everything to the point where as soon as he said that, their response was to strip off their cloaks, tear up the dust, and say, hey, this man deserves to die. This guy should not be on the earth. Church, if we ever get to a point where we think that new human being has the right to live, we have lost our view of who God is. The Jews in this moment lost view of God and his life to the point that they wanted to kill Paul. They caused the riot. They were crying and pouting and moaning and, and destroying things and breaking things, all because Paul said, hey, God has called me to the Gentiles. And so they thought that a riot would be the best thing for them, and if they caused a riot, maybe Paul would be trampled on or maybe the Roman leaders would kill him. That was their goal. And so they got almost naked, tore up the dust, and were going crazy. And the Roman officials were like, whoa, what is going on? And so they took Paul into the barracks, and as they, they were like, you know what? Hey, we don't know what's going on, but maybe if we flog Paul, maybe we can get to the answer of all of this. And so here's, here's Paul about to be flogged, about, and, and church, I, I, I'm going to withhold the details of what it looks like to be flogged. It is gruesome. It is hard. 
And it's not uncommon for someone to die from being flogged. But here's the thing about Paul. Paul knew who he was. Paul understood that he was a Jew by birth, and he was a Roman citizen by birth. In a world that, as Americans, if we're proud to be American, we get accused. And Paul himself, as a godly, Christ-centered man, knew his citizenship, knew his rights, and said, hey, are you about to flog a Roman citizen? And they're like, wait, what? We thought you were a Jew. You said you were a Jew. And Paul's like, no, I'm also Roman. And the, the tribune came to him and said, hey, is this right? Are you a Roman citizen? And the tribune was like, hey, I bought, I bribed my way into my citizenship. I bought it so that I could be a Roman citizen. And Paul's like, yes, but I was born this way. We don't know why. We don't know why or, or the full details of, of how Paul officially became a, a, a Roman citizen. Some believe his dad was a Roman citizen, and so he came to it. Others believe that, that maybe they inherited their Roman citizenship because they were part of the Roman army as tent makers, and, and, and he, they deserved it that way. Um, but either way, Paul was born a Roman citizen, and as a Roman citizen, you were deserved a fair trial regardless of where you're at. If you're a Roman citizen, you don't have to be in a specific territory. You are earned the right to a fair trial without flogging. And so Paul knew his citizenship, he knew his rights, and he knew when to pull his citizen card. But church, here's the thing. Christ-centered people reflect their earthly citizenship by reflecting their heavenly citizenship. Christ-centered people understand first and foremost that their citizenship is to Christ himself before they're American, but they live out their American citizenship reflecting their heavenly one. And Paul, in all of his journey, through all of his trials, everything else reflected Christ first and foremost. He knew that his heaven, the heaven was his true home. But he also understood, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights, and I'm going to fight for my rights. And so Paul was fighting for his rights, right? He, he was brought before the chief. He was brought before these. And they were like, you know what? We're going to put him in front of the council. We're going to put him in front of the high priest. We're going to put him in front of all these different people. And so as he was in front of the council again, what did he do? He talked about Jesus. And so Paul, in front of the high priest, said this. 23, verse 1. In looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived life before God in all good conscience up to this point. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Paul was just reflecting his character. And he said, they listen, my character reflects Christ. Right, church, Christ-centered people have a high character. Sheila, can you put up that point? A character that reflects a Christ-centered life matters. And Paul's like, hey, listen, I've honored God. I've lived a good conscience. As a Jew, honoring the Jewish traditions, and as a believer in Christ, I've lived my life to honor and reflect the things of Jesus. Church, 
Your character matters more than what you always have to say. And when we look at a world, and we look at church, and we see all of these religious leaders falling into sin, we see pastors falling into sin, we see all these these cover-ups coming to light, and we wonder why the world doesn't trust the church. Now, I read a study the other day that said only 30% of Americans trust the church. 30%. Character matters. The way we live and reflect our lives in Christ matters. Why? Because the world is looking. And Paul, before the council, said, hey, hey, look, I've lived my life in honor of God. My conscience is clean. I did nothing wrong. And Ananias, the high priest, while he, whether he was a high priest chosen by God or he was put there by the Roman guard and the Roman citizens, most likely he was put in place by the Rome, by Rome, wasn't truly a a high priest that we reflected in in Old Testament times. Paul, not knowing that, most likely because he was out of being a Pharisee for so long that he had no idea who was in leadership there. And so he said this, and Ananias thought that Paul said, hey, I live my life without sin. And so he he, he, he told the people to smack him. And Paul's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And he said this, Paul said, I'm going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Have you ever whitewashed something? When you whitewash something, it doesn't fully take away from what's behind. It only covers it up. And so Paul, in this moment, while we, we, we say, hey, Paul, Paul lived for God, he honored Christ, he did have flesh moments. And I really believe that this is one of those flesh moments where he got angry to the point that he called the the high priest out. And he said, listen, you whitewashed wall. Basically means on the outside you look clean, but on the inside you are a serpent. And the people were like, hey, what are we doing? Why, why Why are you saying this to your high priest? And Paul's like, hey, I didn't know he was the high priest. But the prophetic thing that he said, he says, God is going to judge you. And later on in Acts and in Scripture, we see that Ananias was judged for this. But Paul said, hey, I have high character. Character matters. I've lived my life for Christ. You, on the other hand, while you look clean on the outside, on the inside, you are full of sin. And Paul wanted to challenge them. And he wanted to call them out. And then something happened. Paul was there, and as all the commotion was happening, Paul began to discern. And he began to realize that the people that are there, some were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. And there was a difference between them. You see, Sadducees didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe any of that. And the Pharisees believed in all that, but here's the thing. None of them believed in Jesus. They were lost without Christ. And Paul Knowing this, he was like, you know what? I'm going to throw a wrench. I'm going to do something. I'm going to cause a little bit of chaos here. And he says, listen, do you know why I'm on trial? I'm on trial because of the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And because of that, I am on trial today. And it caused them to have commotion. Because the Sadducees didn't believe, but the Pharisees believed. And there was all this argument going on. And all this chaos was going on. And it caused another riot. And the tribune 
realizing this, had to protect Paul again. And so here's Paul in the midst of all this, right? His desire was Jesus. His desire was Christ. And so Sheila, can you put up that point? A life that proclaims and reflects the resurrection matters. Church, no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter the people that are before us, no matter what is going on, we have to preach the resurrection. Why? Because the resurrection is what brings life to people. Christ's death was great, but if Christ never rose from the dead, then his death was meaningless. The resurrection is what gives us life. The death washes us white as snow, but it's the resurrection that defeated life, that defeated death, defeated sin. And it's the resurrection that we are called to proclaim. And Paul, Paul knew that his desire was to preach it. And so he said, hey, listen, this is why I'm on trial, because I preach of the resurrection. And so Paul was brought back into the barracks. I can imagine that there was fear. I can imagine that there was worry. I can imagine that he was processing, man, what is going to happen to my life? Like, I thought I was going to Rome, God. I thought that I was going to preach the gospel in Rome. I thought I was going to get there. But God, it doesn't seem like it. God, these people hate my life. They're gunning for me. They're trying to kill me. And every time I go out to face a leader and give my defense, my life is at stake. Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel like life is just going in the wrong direction? You ever feel like the world is just caving in on you and it feels like the world is against you? And you're crying out to God saying, God, do something. My job is, is, is falling apart. My family is parting apart. What am I to do, Lord? Listen to what God says in verse 11. So character matters. Preaching the resurrection matters. But look what it says. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify of me in Rome. This is where I want to land today. We're called to live our lives to reflect Jesus. We're called to preach about Christ. But we're also called to be reminded that God is present. That even in the midst of your hardships, in the midst of everything going on, God is present. It says that the Lord stood by him. Church, Christ stands by you every single day if you follow Jesus. He is present in your life. And then no matter what you go through, even those moments of feeling lonely and discouraged and life is just hard, God is present. And just like he told Paul, I can imagine God's, Jesus saying to us, Mike, take courage. This Greek word for take courage here is only used by Christ. When we look at the Gospels, we can see it in multiple different points. When, when, when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter thought he saw a ghost, and God says, hey, don't be afraid. It's this word, take courage. The woman who's, who's been bleeding for 12 years of her life and grasped him, and Jesus says, hey, who did this? And the woman came forward. Christ said, hey, take courage. Your faith has made you well. This word, I want to remind you, is just a reminder that God is always present. He's always with us. A spirit-filled follower of Christ walks forward in courage, knowing that Christ is present with him. 
no matter what you go through, no matter your hardship as parents, no matter your hardship with friends, no matter your hardship in work, no matter what is going on, God is present in your life. And I can imagine to Paul, just like it happened a few chapters earlier, Jesus is reminding us, hey, I'm present. Look at some of these words. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Joshua 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Matthew 28.20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. We can be encouraged. Why? Because the Lord will never leave us. The Lord is present with those that are his own. The Lord will never forget his own. And no matter what we go through, we can take courage. I can imagine that that was good for Paul's soul. And so what are we to do? God's word says, take courage. He said, take courage, Paul, because you are going to be my witness. You're going to make it to Rome. And so while we still have breath in our lungs, we should believe that Jesus has work for us to do. And if he has work for us to do, he's going to be present with us through those moments, no matter what we have. So take courage, take heart. The Lord knows you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is for you. And finally, I don't care how old you are, how healthy you are, how old you are, how sick you are, the Lord isn't finished with you if you're here. If you're here and you're breathing, the Lord isn't finished with you. There's still much work to be done, no matter where we're at. God had a job for Paul to do, and nothing could stop God's plan. God's words greatly encouraged him. And as we're going to see as we go forward, Christ, Paul doesn't stop preaching Jesus. He doesn't stop wanting to know Christ. He doesn't stop with any of these things. And I can believe that in this moment, these words from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9 stood out to Paul. Listen to these words. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed. God is present. He's with us. No matter what we do, God is always there. And so, Sheila, last side. May we continue to be spirit-filled, Christ-centered, courageous believers who desire to bring glory to Jesus in everything we do and say. May our character reflect that of Christ. May our words that come out of our mouths reflect the resurrection in our lives. May we take courage knowing that God is always present with us. And that's why we celebrate communion. We celebrate it once a month to remember, to remind ourselves of who God is to us and what God has done. His death and resurrection wasn't us saying, hey, I'm done, I'm leaving you. The resurrection was a promise that I'm going to be present because I'm alive. Take courage knowing that Christ is present with you.
In a little bit, I'm going to have Sheila play a song. And the song's going to declare that God reigns.